Welcome to In The Money with Shannon Rusick from Flyer Financial Technologies, the company that builds cutting-edge technology designed to solve asset and wealth management firms' toughest trading workflows. In this podcast, we help advisors and asset managers understand how technology is transforming the wealth tech sector. We'll cover how to leverage technology for faster, smarter investment decisions, mega trends, and more. Shannon draws from years of experience in the industry, along with guest experts to explore the biggest challenges and opportunities in the wealth tech game. Now, on to the show. Welcome to In The Money. I'm your host, Shannon Rossick. So we're podcasting from the Wellstack Conference uh, here in Florida this week, and I'm doing double duty actually at this conference covering the major events and talking with the movers and shakers as I Everyone knows I love to keep my finger on the pulse when it comes to our industry. So I am privileged to be joined today by Will Trout, Director of Wealth Management at Javelin Strategy and Research. And in this episode, we'll be taking a deep dive into the challenges and opportunities around personalized delivery of financial planning and the role technology plays. So Will, thank you for joining me here in sunny Florida at, at Edge and Wellstack. And see, that's the great thing about podcasting. It's mobile. <laughs> It's mobile. So I didn't need to come all the way to Florida to do this, did I? but I'm glad I'm here. And it's great to see you, Shannon. Absolutely. Well, I appreciate you joining me today. Um, always enjoy reading your research and articles. And just as somebody who always knows what's going on in the industry, I'm very much looking forward to this conversation. So first question, usually the hardest question, actually, tell me about your background and why you do what you do today. Absolutely. Um, I think I'm really privileged, Shannon, to be in the research business because I get a bird's eye view of all the interesting technology and operational and otherwise transformational developments in our industry. And our industry is 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 truly driven by tech. Um, and that's being driven by what's happening in the outside world world, the kind of tools and technologies that consumers have access to. And so I really feel like I'm privileged to be at the cutting edge of what's happening in the wealth space, which is woken up from its its relative slumber and is really churning and burning in terms of technology and what advisors are looking for in terms of tools for adoption. And did you always know you're going to go into research or how did, <laughs> how did this all come about? No, I, like many people, I, I, I worked for a large financial institution and, um, I sort of cut my teeth there and the operational and strategy arms of the business. And then when that sort of petered out, uh, decided, well, wouldn't it be great to sort of not have hockey pucks coming at me every day, but just have the time to reflect and think about where we're going as a business. And I find that people in the driver's seat, people who are running businesses, RIAs or, or, or tech firms, really don't have the time and bandwidth to reflect on what's happening. So that's my job, Shannon. And uh, how would your parents describe what you do? Uh, they would question how one can make a living by commenting, blogging, researching. They probably think I was a, a journalist or a copywriter, which is fine, which I am of a sort. <laughs> Fair enough. I, I My parents... I love them. They ask me all the time, what, what do you, what do you do? Well, you're again? an influencer. Now that's hard to define. <laughs> oh, I have not given myself the title of influencer yet, but thank you. <laughs> you're on your way. Then. <laughs> there we go. Emerging influencer. So tell me, what are you working on now that, you know, our audience should know about? Yeah. Yeah. So it's interesting. People ask me what, what I cover in wealth management and I, I'm invariably speechless because it changes day to day and the scope is so wide. 
for example, my last three areas of research, um, the current one is around direct indexing, which I can talk about in the, in the vein of personalization. The one before was the new requirements around rollover advice put forward by the Department of, of Labor, and that has huge compliance burdens and tech burdens for firms. And before that was use of messaging apps, WhatsApp, WeChat in financial institutions. You probably saw JP Morgan. Chase just got fined $200 million. Sure did. Problem. Mm-hmm. So a uh, great, and that's, you asked me what I like about this business. It's the variety too. You're never bored. There's so much, you know, from AI to private capital to, to onboarding. There's always something new under the sun. And you're also moderating a panel here at Edge, uh, Scale versus Service, How Technology Can Allow Wealth Managers to Personalize the Delivery of Planning, Investments, and Outcome-Oriented Advice. So let's unpack that a little bit. (laughs) How would you define outcome-oriented advice? Well, I think, you know, you can define that in a couple of ways. I think one of the ways sort of through the regulatory lens, which is this whole best interest debate that went through several lives, Department of Labor rule vacated by Trump, the Trump administration, and then Reg BI, and now this rollover rule. So advisors need to be acting in the best interest of their clients. But best interest isn't really about outcomes. I think you've seen a new focus, and this is actually being spearheaded by the regulator in the United Kingdom, the FCA, on outcomes, meaning are you constructing or advising on a plan that is likely to lead to a positive result, the ability to pass on assets to children, the ability to enjoy a secure requirement, or are you just taking a very narrow lens and saying, well, this fits your interest, I'm not making money off it in an egregious way, so do it. So this kind of more thoughtful approach to advice, Shannon, is what outcome-based advice is really all about. And we're hearing a lot, not just at this event, but advisors are tasked with meeting investor demands for personalization and really that superior user experience. So what can advisors or advisory firms do to help achieve a reasonable level of personalization with their clients? Yeah. So the second leg of the stool, which I didn't really get to about outcome-focused advice relates to financial wellness. And basically what this term means is serving all sides of the client balance sheet. So protection, credit, not just investments. Um, If you're able to do that, you're able to help a client go a long way in their journey. In terms of more tactical day-to-day support, I mean, there's some big themes we've talked about at this conference. For example, self-service, right? Clients, especially younger clients, want to be able to touch and feel their money. It can be as simple as visualizing scenarios or tweaking assumptions, but they want that. This sort of paternalistic approach where the the advisor was the doctor and would say, well, your knee hurts, do this. That's out the window, Shannon. And so insofar as you can empower the end client, you've gone a long way in helping them get a grip on their financial well-being. And you're seeing advisors, I mean, the role of them is really more important than ever because they have to wear so many hats right now. They're a life coach, borderline therapist, an in-house CFO at the end of the day. So how are advisors supposed to strike a balance between scale and service? It's a big ask. And what does that mean? And how does that ladder up to portfolio management? Well, you've raised a huge question in that we've surveyed end investors and they want um, support around tricky life questions, things like death, divorce, mental health, that frankly, advisors are not able, qualified, or even willing to provide. So that's a problem right there. Um, advisors need to get comfortable with acting as, I wouldn't say a minister, but as sort of a, a life coach, maybe. 
And um, I forgot the second half. I forgot your question already. I got so excited about that. No, no. I was saying, you know, how are they really supposed to strike that balance when it comes to to scale and service and what that means to portfolio management? And where does that leave technology's role? It puts technology right right at the center, Shannon. So, I mean, technology is really the only way to break that trade-off between technology and, and, and between customization and scale or personalization and scale. And whether it's something as tactical as pre-filling forms in the onboarding, we're using blockchain, say, technology for KYC, like ownership and providence of assets. You trade them, you have a full picture at once. There are ways to do that. I think you know, what we'll probably end up concluding at the end of the day is that, you know, all these great tools are out there, but integration is the key. How are you connecting them that they can speak to each other, which means how can data be effectively transmitted, ideally in real time, between one pocket of information or hub and another so that these systems work together and they help the advisor go through the workflow process essentially on autopilot while allowing that advisor to do exactly the things you mentioned, coach, encourage, mentor, high value strategic functions. And and you mentioned data and it's an interesting topic right now because it's like oil in our industry right now, but it's an asset, but it can quickly become a liability if you don't have a plan or a structure around it. So in terms of reaching that scale and personalization, how should advisors be be looking at all the data and data points they have access to for their clients to, to make that experience more personalized? Yeah, well, it's interesting. So in my panel this morning with Nick, Nick Etok of Inteliflow out of the UK, so in Europe, they have open banking. So mm-hmm. it's basically an open book in terms of customer data. As long as the customer is okay with it, you just open up the, the faucet, all the data is pre-populated into your profiling form or your onboarding form. We don't have it here in the US yet. We have it in parts and it's very piecemeal. So it's incumbent on the advisor to be proactive in getting client information and, and sort of building it into a whole picture. I, I think you know we've tended to view advice in the US often in terms of silos, your investment money, your credit, your savings. But getting back to that theme of financial wellness, those need to be integrated. And whether you're an RIA looking to build a tech stack that does it or a bank or large financial institution that is siloed and finding a way to break down those silos and share information, um, the problem is the same. The scale is different. An RIA is not going to go out and get you know Snowflake as their data center to reshape the way they keep and store data. It's, it doesn't make any sense. A bank will. However... You know, investing in technology, investing in your core processes, which will tend to be CRM or portfolio management systems, and making sure you have that le- level of integration with, you know, trusted third partners, financial planning, uh, compliance tech, compliance tech especially. That's really a key part of the story. Yes, compliance is a dirty word in our industry. <laughs> it's keeping a lot of us busy, though. Exactly. <laughs> and it will continue to do so. You're absolutely right. <laughs> absolutely right. I want to go back. You made a point about integrations. And something that I've been hearing more and more consistently is this trend now of going beyond just the integration and making sure it's a truly deep workflow integration. So we're trying to get away from that swivel chair, disparate system effect that we often see in our industry. Are you hopeful that we're going to reach a point where 
everything sings in harmony? So we're seeing that increasingly, and I would call this tightly knitted integration, meaning almost like you're buying a package of services, right, that are already pre-configured to work together. Like the best example, earliest example is probably RBC Black, right, the custody platform that had like Riskalyze and several other platforms already locked down and loaded so that the advisor could deploy them. And in fact, at 80% off the rack rate, right? Since you're buying a, a set of technology solutions rather than a single one. So I think some of the, without getting too technical, I mean, definitely APIs, um, you know, tend to leak or fall down in certain parts. I mean, there's connectivity. CRM platforms, for, for example, are notoriously poor integrating with like Google calendar and Google suite and that falls down. I mean, this is, this is, this is heartbreaking for the advisor. So I think you're going to go from a world of like the app store where you sort of pick and choose from a smorgasbord of solutions to more pre-configured solutions that have proven uh, durability and can be easily deployed almost in a turnkey way, sort of like the idea of the TAMP, but more, with much more flexibility. That's where I think things are going. Absolutely. So I want to pivot back a little bit to personalization because we're seeing a lot of money getting thrown at direct indexing right now. <laughs> I mean, there's news and headlines. Do advisors know what that is? <laughs> well, that's what we're going to talk about, right? Okay. So, so, you know, for instance, you know, that news just came out around Pathstone buying a $1.9 billion direct indexing shop. So what do these acquisitions mean for the end advisor, advisory firms, and what should they be looking out for? Why should they care? <laughs> So it's interesting. I mean, direct indexing is sort of like the next big thing or the thing and very hot. And all of this, of course, uh, was generated by Schwab taking over TD Ameritrade, driving commissions down to zero. All of a sudden, it became economically feasible to build your own portfolio rather than buying what, frankly, is a very cheap and viable solution, which is the ETF, right? So I, I think I'm, I wouldn't want to say direct indexing is overhyped, but I think um, it needs to be understood as appropriate for certain types of investors. Ultimately, it will revert to the original use case, which is higher net worth investors, not investors who have 5,000 and want to trade fractional shares. They don't get the tax benefits. Um, and in fact, the tax benefits, yeah, the tax benefits are there, but they're a reflection of the U.S. tax code. There are other concerns which we're seeing in non-US markets that are super relevant, mainly around personalization, right? To ESG or to legacy positions. Say you inherit a slug of Coca-Cola stock, you know, you, you don't want that kind of exposure. So I, I, I think direct indexing, we're in really early days. It's almost single asset class, US equity and, and basically large cap US equities. I think where we're heading is towards much more personalized indexes to the individual, to the investor, and the ability to incorporate into the optimization process, which is sort of calculating the, the array of possibilities, other asset classes, not just fixed income, but alternatives. And then you'll have true, again, I like to talk about optimization, which is a higher level function than just indexing, which is very mechanical and very equity centered. And you mentioned ESG yeah. here. What does it mean for it? And does it play a role here or not in all of this? <laughs> I think advisors uh, look at uh, ESG with the same John Desai. They look at direct indexing. Um, it's partly a generational thing, I think, everywhere. I think it's a cultural thing. I think it, it hasn't really gotten the momentum uh, in the U.S. It has in other markets. I, I do think, though, there is increased awareness, particularly as the S and G pillars, social concerns and governance with 
you know, Black Lives Matter, gender equity, things like that become increasingly important to investors. So it's one of these things. It's like a tipping point. It's there, even if we don't see it now. Uh, I do want to say to your question about advisors, the real sticking point, Shannon, I think is advisors haven't felt they have, have had the tools to implement ESG-centric portfolios. One, they don't necessarily understand it. So they sort of align to their personal preferences. No Exxon. Okay, well, that's not very sophisticated approach. And then how do they actually manage the portfolio to ESG criteria? So fortunately, there are a lot of tools coming out into the market. You may work with one that offer that level of, of, of slicing and dicing to enable that kind of customization in an ESG-sensitive way. And it seems like we're really in this phase of technology consolidation following many years of rapid growth in this industry. How do you view the landscape and what does it mean for firms who are really looking for you know, holistic and extensible solutions, but don't necessarily want that bundled all in one? Um, can I can I argue the, with the with the point with please, the question? Please do. That's why we're doing this. <laughs> I think just looking out here at the window, of course, our audience can't see it, and all these new young <laughs> we're vendors. We're in a podcasting box for those podcasting <laughs> box, right? With vendors who look like they, you know, they don't can't even shave yet. Um, I, I think that speaks to sort of the the, the constantly renewing element of 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 wealth management and wealth tech and, and wealth management, which has been a laggard compared to banking, right, uh, um, is really, you know, exploding. Now, you're certainly correct that there has been consolidation, there's M&A, there's a lot of capital out there. Um, but I think, um, again, as we have new technologies, as we have new asset classes, all guaranteed income solution, um, you know, the role of the blockchain, we may, even if we have less in terms of sort of the number of vendors out there, you're still going to have innovative ways to combine them. And I think some of the traditional choke points of our industry, like custody, which has controlled the data and workflow, are going to be relevant, but less relevant to the extent that they're not the kingmakers in terms of what vendors, you know, I don't need to work with Fidelity to be a successful startup, right? And, and so... Uh, I think there'll actually be more flexibility. And to your earlier question, Shannon, that idea of knitted solutions may provide the best of both worlds. So is there any technology out there then that you are hopeful about or maybe some tech themes that have come out of this event specifically that have you hopeful or excited? Well, there's a lot of crypto here. Oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think, you know, I think blockchain has sort of been the, the Brazil of technology. It's going to be the next big thing, and it stays that way. Uh, nothing against Brazil. But, um, but I do think, you know, this idea of next best action, which we haven't really seen properly understood as not stock picking, but advisor prompts and advisor empowerment is in fact the next big thing. And, you know, we've seen it at the level of Morgan Stanley, Bank of America, where they've got millions of dollars to invest in technology. But increasingly, you're seeing this issue of data and CRM and intelligent prompts, this knitting together of, of technology, enable real intelligence, real-time intelligence on client motivations, behavior, basically the ability to function for advisors to function at a very strategic level and connect the dots, literally connect the data dots around client X has a house in Bermuda, client Y has a boat in somewhere else, but you know maybe they have similar children's age and economic or educational obligations. What insights come to mind in a way that I can at least 
think intelligently or, or lucidly as the advisor about a client situation, because again, it gets down to customization and scale. No advisor can spend you know, 50 hours a year on one particular client. You need to divide your time. So how do you scale that thought process in a way that's, that's truly powerful, Shannon? That to me is important. So in, in five years, we'll sit down and do a podcast again and see where the state of things are. <laughs> I think it could be three years. I think a lot could change, particularly if, if you have some of what's been talked about this, this conference, you know, a recessionary environment and uh, some frankly needed consolidation, you know, in the fintech space. Am I allowed to say that? Yes, you are. Okay. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> That's why we have these conversations meant to be a little controversial. Nothing wrong with that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, you know, one thing I love about these conferences and having conversations with you, Shannon, is that like you, you can come here and you'll hear people, you know, crypto maniacs and, and crypto bears and, 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 you know, anything's really possible. No one has a monopoly on the truth. It's trying to see sort of the trends and, and what, really demand-driven. What do advisors and ultimately what do end investors want? I think that's the key. Absolutely. So as we wind down here, you know, I have to end with some fun questions. Can't just end Uh-oh. on that. On that note. These are the hard ones, right? Okay. So, well, what's one thing people don't know about you or something that might surprise them? I love to travel by train and I've traveled by private train across the Canadian Northwest. I've taken the Trans-Siberian from Moscow to Mongolia and uh, yeah, when, when I find like travel, particularly travel on my own, less for work, but for leisure as just the most relaxing way to spend my time. It's incredibly therapeutic. But what is private train travel? I have never heard of that. Oh, yes. So there's my, my, my late father-in-law was a private train enthusiast. So imagine like John D. Rockefeller, uh, you know, they had their own train, they rented the track. It's a little less glamorous nowadays. You basically, you own the train car and you have it serviced and stuff like that, but you then rent, you hitch onto Amtrak. So, and then they pull you along. So for all effects and purposes, you feel like you're on a private train, but it's, it's a private train car, not the whole thing. That is the most interesting answer I've ever received for that question. <laughs> it certainly surprised me. <laughs> so outside of private train travel, what's your biggest passion? Wow. Um, probably, I mean, I'm an active runner. So I do went, went this morning in the, in the Florida heat for five miles with uh, uh, one of your colleagues. I, I heard Rusty may have uh, gotten a few miles in. Yeah, this morning. now he's wimping out about tomorrow. He's like, oh, tomorrow's my off day. I'm like, no, it's not. <laughs> no, no. And um, yeah, I have three beautiful daughters who are transitioning through various stages of their academic and personal lives. And that is probably uh, my real job. And it, and it never ends. <laughs> not likely to end soon. And are they going to be going into financial services? I hope not. <laughs> One is going to work for IBM in Austin next year. She's uh, um, computer science. So she's doing, yeah, this sort of um, uh, natural language AI stuff we were talking about. So maybe she will. Oh, okay. I'll have to have her on then to talk, talk she, about all things AI. She would be really on the cutting edge. <laughs> oh, I love that. All right. So last question as we wrap up. Do you have a life motto or business mantra that you that you follow, repeat to yourself in the mirror every day, or something you keep in the back of your mind? Stay motivated. <laughs> it's probably really simple. It's just do it now, right? We're also distracted and pulled in a way. And I mean, I mentioned my kids. I see like 
like, like they're always on the phone. I, I just need to, I, I find that like given the pace of which things are coming and, and work and life, just set aside the time. Don't try to be the first to the finish line. Just find the time to do what you say and do what you promise and execute and focus on delivering a high, high quality product. And, and that's what I try to do for my clients as well. Well, it's been an absolute pleasure speaking with you today, Will, and getting to know you better and <laughs> learning a little bit more about you both professionally and personally. But um, please tell our listeners where they can find resources and learn more about Javelin's research. Yeah. So we're called Javelin Strategy and Research. There's a website, javelinstrategy.com. And you can Google me, William Trout. You'll find my reports. You'll, we publish an agenda, which is public. And I love to talk fintech. You don't need to be a client. Call me up. We'll have a great conversation, just like we've had with Shannon. <laughs> and can I can I say congratulations on your award? No, please. Uh, okay, we'll oh, keep it under wraps please. for another ten minutes. Well, thank well, thank you. It is public knowledge now. So, <laughs> marketer of the year. Well, I'm a finalist, so we'll we'll see. Marketer of the year. <laughs> uh- Well, thank you for the shout out. Much appreciated. And be sure to subscribe to this podcast on all major podcasting platforms and follow follow Flyer Financial Technologies on LinkedIn and Twitter at FlyerFT or visit our website at www.flyerft.com to learn more. Thank you all and have a great day. Thank you for listening to In The Money, the show that delivers advisors, asset managers, broker dealers, and other technology service providers the knowledge they need to navigate this industry. Don't forget to click the follow button to be notified when new episodes become available. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guest and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of Flyer Financial Technologies. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. 